Hello and welcome back to What's the Buzz, the show where we explore what's hip and happening with pollinators in Lemhi County. This show is a part of Salmon Valley Stewardship's Pollinator Pathway Program. I'm Khalil Lultu. And I'm Nick Rogers. We're two fellows on a quest to discover more about the wild world of pollination. We've spent the summer working with farmers, educators, artists, and scientists, learning about the numerous ways pollinators impact our lives, as well as exploring the growing environmental consciousness here in Lemhi County. Now we're bringing some of those conversations to you via the power of the interwebs. Think about the last time you felt wonder for the natural world. Maybe it was watching a heron wade slowly across the river or a crimson sunset over the mountains. These are moments that stay with us and teach us the preciousness of life. Even if it seems fleeting or serendipitous, wonder is also something that can be taught and practiced. In the case of protecting pollinators and the rest of the natural world, being well-informed isn't enough to inspire work that is sincere and sustainable. We need to appreciate the natural world in a deeper and more meaningful way. On this episode of the show, we talk with local wildlife biologist and nature artist Tempe Reagan and environmental educator Francis Mueller of Summer Creek Farm about the role art and education play in inspiring people to become nature lovers, capable stewards, and defenders of pollinators. Up first, here's Tempe. The first question we have is sort of, how did you get into art? And specifically, when did you start doing art that represents the natural world? Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And your first question is one I get a lot. I'm actually a self-trained artist. I don't have any formal classes other than what you get in high school art class, which is pretty basic. Um, And really all of my professional training has been in the sciences and geared towards wildlife biology. So I always grew up drawing and I always grew up outside and I think it's very natural for the environment and insects and plants and animals to inspire my art from a very young age. Um, But as I've grown and specialized in my career, I find myself drawing or illustrating really more of my specialties, which are birds, plants, pollinators, that kind of thing. I guess like one of the questions we were wondering about too is, so like the environmental movement is often very much like led by like the scientific community at least in certain respects right when you think of creating like lasting change and stuff there's a big push in schools to teach kids like stem and not necessarily connect like art to environmentalism and i was wondering like what you think the role of art is Mm -hmm. in sort of creating change in environmental consciousness How do you see that playing into the vision? My perception is that art um, can really connect people to their environment. And I think more and more the world is turning towards electronics and social media and people are pulling inward instead of focusing outward. And art can be the bridge that kind of taps people on the shoulder and reminds them like, hey, look at this really beautiful butterfly on this native plant. Could you potentially find this in your backyard? Why don't you go do that? And so art can connect people to nature and be the bridge. I mean, 
you might have people going to a store or a museum or uh, an art gallery even, but they're not going outside to do things on their own. But when they go into the store or the museum or the art gallery, they see these pieces of art, if, if the artists are creating such things, that then kind of pique their interest and maybe encourage them to go explore the natural world. So I think art can also tell the story of animals that people ignore, which insects are very much ignored, I think. Maybe, maybe we're paying a little more attention to them now, but historically people really pay attention to the charismatic megafauna, like the grizzly bears, <clears throat> elk, moose, and kind of forget that the, at the bottom of every food chain are the plants and the pollinators, which are what sustain all of those other things they like to enjoy. Um, and so art can kind of point the direction towards species that are otherwise overlooked. Nick and I both are like pretty interdisciplinary like in school and enjoy like you know doing more creative projects and stuff as well as um, we're doing like you know environmental environmental internship and I guess one thing that I always find a little bit like difficult is like navigating between kind of like my like artistic frame of mind that sees the natural world kind of just as like a, a place of wonder. Um, and the, I mean like the scientific lens also gives a sense of wonder, but it's sort of like, yeah. it's a different way of knowing. It's a different way of seeing the world. Like, uh, I, I don't know. My experience has been like on the sort of survey cruise that we've been going on this summer. It's very much just like a way of breaking down the world into data. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm wondering, like, does that interfere with your artistic sensibilities, with your ability to get inspired? Does it augment it? Um, do they ins inspire each other? Yeah. Do you feel like you become a better scientist because you're an artist yeah. and vice versa? Yeah, definitely feel like they complement each other. I actually know a lot of really brilliant scientists who are also illustrators. I wonder if it has to do with some kind of the similar parts of the brain or one part of the brain needs a break so the other part takes over. I'm not sure I should look that up, but um, I think I'm an artist and I care about animals and so I went into biology to be able to make a difference in the world. Um, but, you know, I struggled in with math and chemistry and some of those classes, genetics that you have to have to get your degree. I think because I am more of an artist at heart, but I think the art complements the, the scientific part of me um, because in both aspects, you have to be a good observer. Like the very basis of science is being able to observe and then formulate a hypothesis or question that you're going to test. And the very basis of being a scientific illustrator or a good artist is being able to observe lines and shapes and colors and shadow and then translate that to paper and so I think it does trigger similar parts of me in, in that way um, and it's really cool you sometimes you're able to pair the art with the science very tangibly like I was able to do illustrations for someone's master's thesis once or use illustrations that I had done in my thesis or presentations for my thesis and so when I can actually pair the two and have an impact is really, like, really cool. Normally, you know, that doesn't happen too much, but yeah. Nice. I'm trying to think about how, like, we can 
I guess, connect this to pollinators because this this podcast is, you know, more loosely about sort of like changing environmental consciousness and some of like the voices that are involved with the natural world in sort of like different ways in salmon. Mm -hmm. But it's also like we're raising awareness about trying to protect pollinators. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm wondering like, in your work as a scientist, do you deal with pollinators at all? Is that is that part of what you're looking for when you're in the field? Is that not really your purview? I've been trying to get into it more and more as time has gone on, um, but we recently created a pollinator partnership with a bunch of agency and NGO and private partners um, and planning things for the community of salmon centered on pollinators. And hopefully that gains momentum every year and we can have more of a, more of a community impact. As far as like actual work with pollinators, there's definitely been a lot of work on monarchs that's happened. Um, a lot of mapping milkweed stands, trying to find larvae, and reporting that to a greater regional working group on monarch butterflies. In a lot of my work, I'm focusing on insects in general, many of many of which are pollinators, and really looking to see what is the insect community like at high elevations in Idaho right now, potentially because over time and under the influence of a warming climate, those insect communities could change. And I've done several in illustrations of pollinators. I've done a monarch butterfly, a pipe vine swallowtail, and I actually just saw uh, a beautiful golden cerambicid flower beetle the other day on Mountain Death Camas, and it was like the most stunning photo. So I was like, I have to draw this. And so I started like in my 15 minutes of free time drawing it the other night, but I probably won't finish it till the winter because I'm so busy right now with work. But um, and I've tried to do bees multiple times and they are stinking hard because of all their little hairs. So, you know, hopefully someday I can do a bombus species, but I haven't gotten there yet. So, nice. yeah. Um, and I think in general, a big part of pollinators and work on pollinators is connecting people to the pollinators and the plants and the food web kind of a thing. Because once people care about pollinators like they care about their, I don't know, wolves or grizzly bears or giraffes or elephants in Africa, then I think you can start to get momentum through that. You maybe can get funding from that and you create a movement towards conservation for this guild of species. Salmon specifically, I guess like in your opinion, what kind of barriers do you see around developing that sort of like group care for pollinators about creating like a, a culture of pollinator conservation is obviously that sort of program looks different in you know urban places that have like really firm um environmental organizations that are you know spreading a lot of awareness like wh where do you see the lack in creating that culture is it distributing seeds is something that we're working on or is it more of like you know what you're doing with your art like people need to get sort of like wrapped up in the charisma of these creatures and sort of like be inspired through through artistic means some of the barriers just lack of opportunity so you know is there a 4-H project that's focusing specifically on pollinators their life cycle what they provide to us I don't know but that would be awesome if there was um, FFA things where kids are involved that can then really not just like oh I had a five to 20 minute lesson on pollinators one day and 
that's cool, let's move on. You know, where they keep getting exposed. And I think the stuff that SVS does that you guys are doing is really a key step. And But it's taking two dedicated people working all summer long, creating events, lesson plans, a podcast, uh, art at the market, or or at the market, on the Saturday market, you're doing stuff for pollinators. Um, I think that's what it takes, you know. But you guys are only here through August, and then you're gone, and then who knows what happens after that. And so I think it needs to be consistent and steady. Money is always an issue um, in conservation, especially for species like pollinators. Um, so if there was dedicated money, I'm sure our pollinator group would do a lot more, you know, but we're trying to scratch and save and piece things together and kind of piggyback on other projects or other budgets or write grants, which is super time consuming. Um, I think eventually we'll get there. Um, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of interest. We're just trying to figure out what the best way forward is and where the money's going to come from and who's going to be in charge kind of thing. Nice. So I think what you guys are doing this summer is one of the biggest steps we've had so far, like coordinated steps. So it's pretty cool. You have kind of described that this, this exposure to nature and pollinators helps people empathize and support the well-being of pollinator species and these people would perceive them as icky bugs. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe like the root of the problem is in our education systems? I definitely would agree that, you know, in general, growing up, my education in the natural world and biology of species was lacking. You know, you take introduction to life sciences as a freshman in high school, and then that's it. You know, and then you take an earth science class and you take it, you can take AP biology, but that's more like, from what I remember, the scientific process and you, maybe you spend one chapter on insects or and then you move on. I don't ever remember even taking class or thinking much about how insects tie into the food that they provide Mm. us, you know, and how important they are to our economic system and our ecosystems and our food systems. I mean, I don't think I really even learned about that in college. It was like grad school and then beyond. Maybe that corresponds to the way the world has been changing how it thinks about insects as well. Because I feel like it's really come on board, come on the scene the last like five years. People have been like, oh no, like I'm not hitting bugs on my windshield anymore when I drive. This is weird. What's going on? You know, (laughs) but I think it's, it is this basic lack in the mainstream education system. I mean, there's a lot to teach kids too, but there are private schools. I know that spend time, more time doing alternate ways of learning so the kids go outside and kind of create their own journey through nature, focusing on pollinators, you know, and when in the public education system that I was in anyway, it's like if you did a field trip once every two months, it was like bomb, but you never were outside looking at insects. So that would, that's like an institutional change that would need to happen, which sounds like, like a huge lift, you know, pretty hard to do. But I guess just talking about it and getting ideas out there is a start. I guess I was thinking recently about how important, like teaching some of the basic principles of ecology are to like young kids and like I I learned you know some basic ecology in like primary school and stuff but just like the central truth that like 
all life depends on the other life in the world. I feel like that just really needs to be like hit home for kids to be able to like not just study species as sort of isolated things, you know, that like science focuses its microscope on and and then we go to another one, but that like, no, there are all these different relationships that are essential to the survival of everything. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity and like for, you know, art of all kinds to sort of like highlight that sort of truth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I have this art idea that I've been wanting to do. Um, no artists out there better scoop me on this or I'm going to find you. But um, I wanted to do a series of pollinators with their native plant or plant that they're kind of adapted specifically to pollinate. Uh-huh. Um, because of I can do the botanical illustration and then the pollinator. And I wanted to do a series of like, I don't know, maybe 10 pieces. But I have a lot of art ideas in my head and I don't have enough time to do them all. So that's still on the list, you know. But I thought that would be a cool way to kind of tie it together. And if I had more time, it would be really cool to do pollinators that you might find in your garden with garden with produce that all of us can relate to, like cucumbers and tomatoes and sunflowers and bees and moths. Um, So I think there's plenty of opportunity to continue to create art that connects folks to their pollinator friends and the food that they provide us. this is your opportunity if you want to plug anything for uh, the salmon community. Well, maybe also tell people where, where can we find your art if we're curious and want to look at some of your stuff. You can find my art at the Purple Easel Gallery in downtown Salmon. Uh, it's also on display with and for sale and cards for sale at Mountain Harvest Community Market. And then you can find me on social media at Nature Talks with Tempe on Instagram and Facebook, as well as a website, which is just temperegan.com. So I do art inspired by nature, but also I do commission work. So if any of you have a vision that you'd like put down on paper, especially as it relates to the natural world, I, I really love working with folks to put art on their wall that they're going to enjoy forever so yeah and thanks for the opportunity to kick off this podcast series i'm excited to hear from the other folks you're going to interview and really excited about this asset that you're providing the community of salmon so thanks for being here this summer thank you so much Tempe. really appreciate your time and your insights and it was good talking to you as we talked about with tempe Sustained community engagement is essential for creating a lasting impact on the health of pollinator populations, and education is a critical part of generating momentum for this important work. Next up, we talk with Frances Mueller, owner of Summer Creek Farm, about her experience as a parent and nature educator working to shape the next generation of stewards here in Salmon. Yeah, my name is Frances Mueller, and I live in Lemhi County. I work uh, occasionally for Don Stamp. I'm an interior designer, project manager, but I also have a lot of downtime because I'm a mom of four kids. And when we moved here in 2015, there were not a lot of summer programs or camps. There's lots of different um educational outlets here. Uh, It's really great to be a kid in Lemhi County because there's a lot of things going on, but there wasn't 
a lot of things for kids that were beyond two, three, four years old or that preschool age. Uh, once they entered school, summer would come around and uh, we just noticed, boy, there's not a lot of things to do. And I noticed right away being very passionate about local foods there was no connection for the kids uh, besides this really amazing school garden that we had. There was nothing really to follow up with those kids on more of a consistent uh, basis. We would have school garden programs and I would help out with those, but it was like we needed, we needed something more. We needed more repetition, more consistency. Uh, if you want to learn or do anything, even when you're starting out or you're practicing, whether it's reading or cursive or math or just tying your shoe, you can't do it once and then be done. So we wanted some, I just found that I thought that was a need that might need to, to be met here. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about like how you aim to do that and sort of like what your program for people that aren't familiar with it. So in 2015, I was really involved in local foods and got really involved with 4-H and I loved seeing everyone in this ranching community really look out at the pastures and say, hey, that's where that's where dinner's at. Um, and I was uh, surprised that a lot of the kids in, in Lemhi County or the ones that I was coming across, um, there was an amount that did know, but there was quite a few who didn't know that that was dinner out in the back pasture or in the side, you know, uh, coop. Um, it was surprising to me that kids thought maybe the meat just came from the store. Mm -hmm. So um, one of our friends that had moved here uh, a few years before us, kind of took us under their wings, as with several other people. There were some really great um, key people that supported me and encouraged me to say, you know, you've got these kids and you really want to teach them. Why don't you do it? So in 2016, I started Summer Creek Farm Goods, and it was about gleaning fruit from properties that no one really took fruit from and getting permission and then just taking this excess abundance that no one was using and starting to preserve it and share it. And, you know, we just got to thinking, wow, wouldn't this be really great if we could teach, you know, my kids and, and their friends how to do this um, and we wouldn't maybe have so much food waste. Um, and not that there was a ton, but it was there was just ample food here. So we started doing that, and I started camps the following year, and we offer summer camps every Monday, all summer long, June, July, and August, for kids to come out. Our, some of our first camps were, uh, we've, we've stepped, kept to a theme program, so I call it the It Place to Be Mondays in the summer, and then each day as a an it theme and it started out with can it and pickle it and jam it and draw it and now we've gone into uh, blast it where we do rockets and uh, explore it where we've partnered with the forest service and we explore um, what it takes to go caving or spelunking and you know, uh, this year we did some rope course stuff and we did some squeeze box to, to give them the experience of going through a cave. Um, we do pollinate it and plant it where we've teamed with SVS this year. Um, it's really grown over the last five years to be a real nice, hopefully for everyone, a partnership 
to, to not only teach the kids what's around them um, and not only just their food, but just all of nature and, and to not necessarily look for a video game option in the house uh, and just to get out and about. Um, I mean, going off of that, do you feel that our heavily digitized culture has led to a lack of interest in the environments? And how do you think that this apathy can be treated? I do believe that. I I thought it was maybe more widespread than what it what I've seen that it is. Maybe I just have a good group of kids that come to camp, but the percentage is fairly low that would prefer to do that. And my thought is it's there because it's so easy and it's available. Um, getting out in nature is, is very easy, but sometimes it takes a little bit more planning. It, it can create maybe a sense of um, angst for the parents that aren't as comfortable with going outdoors. But I feel that we're really blessed here in, in Lamai County because we have so many parents who are out on the river or up in the mountains. They're either with BLM or fish and game or forest service or they're hunting. So I, I feel like we, we are spoiled here because a lot of these kids, they do have the ability and most of them have the video games at home, but they also have the background and support to get them outside. I don't always feel that that's the case in other areas that I've been. Um, that's not to say it's still not a problem here, and I'd love to get into a lot of the kids where that's all that they do. Um, but I have been very fortunate and very blessed to have the majority of the kids that come to my camp really just that's what they want to do. Yeah, I mean, something So something I've been thinking about, and we've talked to different people in town about, like, playing to the strengths and like resources of a rural community like for environmental education because like it doesn't make much sense to adopt you know environmental like you know beginner environmental studies curriculum but not like take kids into like you know the outdoors here like I guess how can like you know outdoor educators like best make use of those resources in the last five years we've come from really uh, besides the library and and the SAC Center and a couple other things with maybe daycares and stuff, there was really no summer camp. And, and mine t- still is not like a summer camp. It's not like we get to go and we're gone for four days and we're out there and and we're experiencing and we're in nature. I mean, we're in nature at my place, but it's, you know, nine to three. Um, but there weren't a lot of the, these day camps. And flash forward to five years now, this summer... We held our very first, like, um, kind of cooperation meeting and coordination meeting with um, myself, Summer Creek Farm Goods. We had SAC Center. We had Lemhi After School Promise. We had 4-H. We had Calvary Chapel. Um, we had the library. And, we, and um, I think... Hopefully I didn't miss anyone. Um, But we really were trying to each pick a different day to see how we could help encourage through and and 4-H and and the extension office has um, kind of taken over the management for the uh, the school garden. So really to have, hey, Mondays, you can go here. Tuesdays, this is happening. Uh, Wednesdays, we have this. And Thursdays are this. And Fridays, we have this occasionally. In addition to... 4-H is, you know, really showing a lot of, here's a Alpine summer camp where we can go to Alpine, Wyoming for a couple days. And here's horse camp if you're interested in that, and it runs for four days. And here's a project camp, and it goes from there. So they're really trying to 
take that lead and that key point to, to kind of coordinate because I think a lot of things happen here in Salmon and a lot of people don't know that they're happening yeah. because we don't have a news station. Our paper comes out once a week, which is excellent for our rural community. But for someone who might not have access or want to, wait, I have to purchase the paper to get that and then I have to pay an ad to get in there to advertise for it. You know, we're using the radio, we're using Facebook, we're using all the means that we can, but sometimes things still go unnoticed. We are blessed to have a lot of kids that have the ability to come to camp um, and to go to any camps, because there's there's lots of camps that I'm not even mentioning that I know is happening here. Um, But we also have one of the largest food insecurities in the state. Um, We also have lots of um, poverty and um, drug use and and there's a lot of negative too and there's just no good way to reach those kids that I found yet and I want to reach them and I want them to experience that freedom of just being outdoors or here's a chick hold the chick you know I mean that kids walking lambs and um, holding rabbits and you know playing with a goose Um, these are because there's a lot of predetermined ideas about what a farm is like or what growing plants are like or what being outdoors is like and it's great to see those walls just melt when they come on and and I hope you got to maybe see some of that too with kids that are you're like you know these kids are a little bit challenging and and it's kind of like no are we up for the challenge because once we really involve them and and challenge them back they're a different kid and they want to be so active and involved and they participate at a completely different level than when they just kind of walked in and a didn't want to participate or were too cool for school you know like it's it's just really cool And, and I'm hoping you know we're in our infancy it'd be really great to see how we can really grow this program and and not only maybe this program, but, but all of Lamai County's education programs to include everyone, um, especially those that are really unreachable. Um, what Francis is talking about to you is that we, we went and did the pollinated day at Summer Creek Farm and work with um, some of the kids doing various pollinator education games and lessons and kind of this like supplemental education to what's being offered, you know, in schools, uh, I guess is you know, increasingly important for, for sensitive issues like pollinators that some of these kids just going through the public school circuit aren't getting a lot of exposure to you. I think it's really interesting because on, on that one, and we'll have our second one on Monday that really talks about pollinators too, is you know we have that pollinator wall or pollinator fence that you can drive by in salmon here. And I think we did that in probably around 2015, maybe 16, I can't remember when. Um, and it was really exciting. And I know the schools were really active and involved in that. And I know the school garden with the school really helps us with um, pollinators and that education component that sometimes gets overlooked. Um, and that's one thing, you know, we we have bees at our place and my husband and I are very passionate about bees. Um, we're always uh, up against people who are like, oh my gosh, that was a bee. I'm going to get stung. I'm allergic. And, and these things are all true, but most of the time they're not. Uh, wasps can pollinate, um, just like bees. Um, but most of the time, 
the fear that people have for an insect or um, anything, even a person, um, the fear that they have sometimes isn't based on truth, um, which is our whole um, society could learn just from that. <laughs> that. That's big. There's there's a lot to discuss there. Um, but I, I think trying to knock down some of those preconceived notions and build them up with actual truth um, it is really the only thing we can do. That's the best way to combat any false. Um, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do every day is just, okay, here's, here's what I know. And, and am I 100% on and perfect? Every, absolutely not. I am human. Um, I make mistakes. But every day I try again, and I, I hope to be better the next day. So... So, yeah, you've talked about, like, you know, your, your educator's perspective, also your, your, your parents' perspective, right? Um, and I guess, like, what, what do you think is the most important thing you can do as a parent or maybe some suggestions that you have? If, like, like say you don't have, ac you know, access to, to having supplemental programs like this, but you still want to raise a kid that's going to have some environmental consciousness and awareness, um, like, what, what can I do, you know, as a parent um, to even just like plant those seeds so that, you know, my kids are interested in environmental topics or are sensitive to, you know, uh, to not be, you know, being sensitive to certain ecosystems. Like, how do you how do you plant that as a parent? I think um, a, it's overwhelming. If you start thinking about it, you're like, oh, my gosh don't screw up. I have to do this. We have to get this information. Uh, my solution or suggestion for all parents out there, and, and I, I take this same advice every day, is try. Just try. Whether it's try one thing, um, tell them one thing. If you don't know one thing, um, we're blessed with and so fortunate to have this wonderful thing called the internet. Uh, it may not always be accurate, but it's something I didn't have as a kid that for the age of my kids, um, there's so much information and there's so much, so many um, resources out there. Um, an example, I didn't know much about, um, I know I love bumblebees. I didn't know there were so many varieties of bumblebees in Idaho. I can't tell you much about bumblebees except they're cute, they're fuzzy, they're big, and I like them. Um, most of that is opinion and not fact. Um, but we found one in our front yard. The kids were just enamored with it. And so we took a couple pictures. I looked online real fast. And um, my husband, he's a nurse, so he always tells me, like, you have to go to, like, an EDU or an ORG site. He's all like, Google's terrible. So, you know, like, you try to find something that's factual. But, you know, right away I did a search on bumblebees in Idaho, and I did salmon Idaho. And I hope I say it right, but the Xerces Society or Foundation came right up. Well, we read a little bit on the page, and down at the bottom there's a place where people just like me, moms, kids, can upload a picture of any bumblebee that they've found, and Idaho's in their, uh, like, Pacific Rocky Mountain region, and so it's for Idaho and I think Washington, maybe Oregon, I can't remember all the states, but Idaho was included, so we uploaded a picture, and you tell, like, where you found it, and it just helps them gather research, and my kids were over the moon about doing that, that they contributed to something. Flash forward a couple months, we're talking to one of the gals that helped, you know, really encourage and support me to start this summer program, and 
and she's like, oh man, we have all these bumblebees. And the kids right away are like, do you know that you could record and report those? And you can help like with this research. Citizen science. And it was the best thing ever. So I really think just try. Um, don't be afraid to, to mess up or, and if you mess up, that's okay. Fess up, own it and say, you know, shoot, I thought it was this, but it turns out it's actually this. Kids are so resilient and they will actually appreciate your honesty and realness with them. And it gives them a sense that you're treating them more as an equal, as opposed to, um, maybe a dictatorship. Um, not that my household ever looks like that. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's just giving them the ability to be an active participant. And and if it if it doesn't happen that day, you know what? Hopefully you're given another day and you can try again. So it's kind of my thoughts, I guess. Awesome. Well, I think we're just about at time. You know, you have to run. So just want to thank you so much for coming to do this and also give you one more opportunity. If there's anything that you want to plug <laughs> to the Simon community, this is your chance. We're really going to try to get this out to a good amount of people. Oh, so. that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for for inviting me in. Um, I really appreciate that. And yeah, um, Mondays, I still have, you know, we've got one more Monday in July and, and all five Mondays in August. Um, if you are looking for something to do with kids ages three through 12, um, send them out to Summer Creek Farm Goods. Check me out on Facebook. There's a schedule on there. There's a registration link. Um, come check it out. See what you think. And if it doesn't work, reach out to us on Facebook. We give farm tours and we've had daycares and stuff come out to our place. So we'd love to just just get kids out and involved with um, nature and pollinators and bees and where their food comes from and, and that we're really much more of a bigger part of this world than than what they might think so thank you guys again i really appreciate it yes perfect thanks again francis well that's it for today folks this podcast is brought to you by salmon valley stewardship's pollinator pathway program for more information on our organization visit our website at salmonvalley.org or check out our facebook page Remember to tune in again for the next installment of What's the Buzz?